we started a series this past week entitled People That Pray. Understanding that what God desires for every one of you who are a follower of Jesus Christ is that would characterize your life, that you would be a person that prays. And we define prayer this way. We gave this definition last week, and we'll mention it every week. Prayer is this, talking with my heavenly Father, knowing he is listening and will answer for my good in his glory. That's how we've defined prayer, talking with our heavenly Father. Last week, we spent a great amount of time in the most well-known, probably, prayer in the whole Bible it was found in Matthew chapter 6, the Lord's Prayer, and we walked through that on, on how we should pray. And so we're not going to take time this morning to go over that. If you missed, you can go to our website, you can watch that, you can listen to it, subscribe to our podcast. But we define prayer that way, is, is understanding that prayer is this beautiful gift that I've been given, that I get to talk with my Heavenly Father, knowing that He's listening. Knowing that He's listening, and also knowing that He will answer for my good and for his glory. And I encourage you, if you didn't grab one of these cards, you can grab one of those as you walk out this morning. And on the back of that, it's just a way to guide you to, to how you can pray specifically for three things. Pray for our church, pray for our city, pray for our nation and world. And, and as I said already, that we're going to walk through every one of those things. And this morning, we're going to talk about praying for our church. And that's the title of our message this morning is simply that. Praying for our church is the title of the message. And as I was thinking this morning and thinking through this last week as I was preparing and asking God, God, what do you want us to see in your word as we deal with this important subject of, man, the importance of praying for our church, that this place is your home, that you're actually taking time to pray for it. And I thought to myself, and I asked myself this question, what's the greatest need of the average follower of Christ in the church today? Like thinking about our church and thinking about the church at large, what's the greatest need of the average follower of Jesus Christ in the church today? And, and if I ask you that question, you, you might say this. You might say, man, they need to know, we need to know more about our Bible. We need to know more Bible, more scripture. And I would say absolutely, that is a very important aspect of our walk with the Lord because as we say here when God's word is open God's mouth is open so yes I would say that's very important for us to know more scripture some of us would say man it's the greatest need for the average follower of Jesus Christ in the church today is that we would love one another more and I would agree with you I would say that's a vital aspect to your walk with the Lord to my walk with the Lord is that I would be demonstrating love for one another we just prayed that right where Jesus says they will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. So I would agree with you. That's a vital aspect of our walk with Jesus Christ. But I don't think it's the greatest. It's a consistent time with God. Like a consistent time in God's word. And I would say, well, that's a vital aspect. But I don't think that's the, the greatest need. Here's what I believe the greatest need of a follower of Jesus Christ today in our church and in the church of America. Here it is. This is our greatest need. That we would have a growing understanding of what we have been given by God through Jesus Christ. That's our greatest need. That as you sit here today and if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you placed your faith and trust in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection for your sins. Your greatest need 
And my greatest need is for me to grow in my understanding of what that actually means in my life. That I would grow in my identity with Jesus Christ is another way to say it. And so in Ephesians 1, verses 16 through 23, we find this first chapter of Ephesians. It's like just loaded with amazing content. Right, All the Bible is, but Ephesians 1 is just loaded with content. It's interesting that in the first half of the chapter, and we don't have time to read the entire chapter this morning, but if you just glance down, there's this long run-on sentence that Paul does through verses 3 through 14. Here's what's interesting. like The Word of God has been given by the Holy Spirit to men who wrote it. But they weren't in a trance when they wrote it. God used their writing styles. And here's what Paul loved when he wrote. He loved run-on sentences. Like, I got killed in English class for for run-on sentences. I remember my teacher would always take the, would write at the top of my paper, Johnny, do you know what a period is? Paul loves to write run-on sentences. And so if I was smart enough back then, I would have said, well, Paul loved to do it to my English teacher being smart, probably good that I didn't do that. But, but you have this long run on sentence from verses 3 to 14, and here's what Paul praises God for. He praises God for the salvation that is offered through Jesus Christ, but he mentions that God is both the author and accomplisher. What he says in verses 3 through 14 is this amazing truth that God's the one that chose you. Jesus Christ is the one who redeemed you. He gave his life and his death and his resurrection is what grants you salvation. And then he also mentions in verses 3 through 14 that the Holy Spirit is the one that applies the salvation. But then you come to verses 16 through 23 and now we have the second half of the chapter that's a prayer. Like Paul gives all this amazing content in verses 3 through 14 of this is what happened in your salvation. Man, God chose you. You need to relish that. Jesus Christ saved you. The Holy Spirit applied that salvation in your life. But then Paul moves to this prayer for the church at Ephesus, really praying that the people would grow in their awareness and understanding of who they are and what they have in Jesus Christ. I think that's the greatest need for every one of us in our church today. The greatest need for you, if you call Harvest your home, is that you would have a growing understanding and awareness of who you are and what you've been given in Jesus Christ. And so as we deal with this topic of praying for our church, that's what we're going to deal with this morning. That we would pray that for every one of us. For myself, for my wife, wives, for your husbands, for my kids, for those in my life group, for those that are my friends in this church, outside of this church. That we would have a growing understanding of who we are and what we've been given in Jesus Christ. So look at verse 16. We're going to read from verse 16 to verse 23. Let's start at verse 16. Paul says this to the church at Ephesus. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So haven't you had that happen to you? Like someone will text you or, or uh, you maybe tell them, hey, would you pray for me about this? And, what are the, and, and don't, you, don't you enjoy that? Don't you like that? Isn't that an encouragement that someone texts you back and says, hey, I want you to know that I'm praying for you? Like that's an encouraging thing, right? 
And that's what Paul is doing with the church at Ephesus. He says, I want you to know that I'm so thankful for you. I'm so thankful for how you're being a testimony of Jesus Christ there in Ephesus, this wealthy city. I'm so thankful for that. But I want you to know what exactly I'm praying to God on your behalf. Look at what he says, verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might? That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. Not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and is in all. Here's the idea that I want you to get today. We think about, man, the importance of praying for our church. Praying specifically for this church. And that doesn't mean that we don't pray for other churches. Because there's many other churches that are in Winston-Salem that stand on the gospel of Jesus Christ. But what does it mean to pray for this church? This church that I call my home, that I'm a part of, that I serve in, that I give to. Here's what we need to understand, which I want you to understand. We're going to see this from God's word today. that The strength of our church... The strength of harvest here in Winston-Salem, the strength of our church is affected by the prayers that we pray. We need to get that. That the strength of our church and what God chooses to do through our church is affected by the prayers that we pray. Listen, God desires, I already said this this morning, God desires that every one of us would be a people that pray. And I believe that it's important for me to continue to grow in my prayer life, that I, need, that I need to do that. But listen, I don't only need to ask myself if I pray. Like, that'd be important, right? Well, do I even pray? We talked about that last week. If I pray, when do I pray? We encourage you on that car that you're going to commit from this time to this time, not in a legalistic way, but in a commitment because you value it, that I'm going to pray from this time to this time about specific things mentioned on this card and other things that I'm asking God to do in my life. So it's not just if I pray or when I pray or even how do I pray. We looked at that last week. Those are important things. But here's what's also important if I'm going to grow in my prayer life. Not just if I pray, when do I pray, how do I pray, but what do I pray? What do I pray? Like in my prayer life, what do I pray? Because I find it interesting, don't you? Maybe, maybe it didn't even hit you but until, I, until I bring this out to you. But I find it so interesting that when Paul is praying for this church at Ephesus, that in none of this prayer from verse 17 all the way through verse 23, does Paul pray one material thing for this church? Find that interesting? And I don't even make that point because material things aren't important for us to pray about. That's not why I say that. But I think it's so interesting that Paul doesn't mention one thing. And it doesn't mean that this church didn't have those needs. Because I'm sure that they did. 
All of the early church was a persecuted church. I'm sure they had needs. But Paul, more than anything else, doesn't pray for those things. Because Paul understands that the greatest need of this church is to have a growing understanding of who they are and what they've been given in Jesus Christ. And 2,000 plus years later, it hasn't changed. That the greatest need for you and for me to pray for God to meet is a growing understanding and awareness of who I am and what I've been given in Jesus Christ. Listen to me. I don't need to pray, God, give me more of Jesus. God, give me more of the Holy Spirit. God, would you pour out more spiritual blessings on my life because I'm not able to walk through this. I don't need to pray that. 2 Peter 1.3 says this, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And it's interesting that he says the way that we experience that is through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Paul prays this for the Ephesians. Look at it, what it says there in verse 17. He prays that the Ephesians would have a spirit. He says it this way, a spirit of wisdom and revelation. That word revelation literally means this. Lord, would you let them know how much they possess through Jesus Christ? Man, let them grow in that. Like how rich they are spiritually. Give them a keen, rich, deep, strong understanding of their inheritance in Christ. And then he mentions wisdom, right? The spirit of wisdom and revelation. Wisdom means this. It's how to use that knowledge in our everyday life. So when Paul prays, the first thing he says is, Lord, would you give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation? In other words, God, would you help them to understand what they've been given in Jesus Christ and how that applies to everyday life situations? That's God's prayer for you. It's God's prayer for me. Better way to say it, that's how I ought to pray. God, would you give me a growing understanding of who I am in you and what I've been given and give me wisdom on how to apply that to the very situation that I'm going through right now today. Think about it, whatever it is, whatever circumstance, whatever thing that you're navigating through right now, I wonder if you're praying, God, would you give me a greater understanding of who you are and what I've been given as I walk through this? Or better yet, God, would you use this thing that I'm walking through to give me a better understanding, give me wisdom and revelation to who I am and what I've been given by Jesus Christ through this thing. And look at what else he says in verse 17. Verse 18, he says, having the eyes of your heart enlightened. Like, that's a weird phrase, right? The eyes of my heart. Here's what heart means. It means my mind, my will, and my emotions. Like how I think and how I feel. So Paul prays, man, would you allow the eyes of how they think and how they feel to be enlightened, that I would grow in my understanding, that I would grow in my understanding of who I am and what I've been given in Jesus Christ, and that I would allow that truth to be the filter for how I think and how I feel. Like think about it this way. Think about this being my heart. And for some of us, we might say, man, my emotions are nowhere near to like a quarter being filled. Like right now, they're overflowing. Right? That may be you this morning. 
But when Paul says, man, Lord, would you allow the heart, the eyes of their heart to be enlightened, what he's saying is, is God, would you help them to understand who they are in Christ and what they've been given, and they, were allowed, they, would, be, they would be strengthened to be able to take those things, how they think and how they feel, and they would allow their identity in Jesus Christ to be the filter that as those things are poured out and as they feel those things and as they endure those things and as they walk through those circumstances, that, Lord, they would filter them through their identity with Jesus Christ so that they would not walk in such a way that's skewed by how they think or skewed by how they want to feel, but God, they would be filtered through your truth so they would have a proper understanding of what you're trying to do in and through them. See, maybe you sit there today and you're like, man, I don't know if I agreed that the greatest need in our church today and in my life is a growing understanding and awareness of who Jesus Christ is, but I'm starting to agree with you. Because I don't know about you, but so often, this is how my life is. Man, I take how I think and how I feel, man, and it's just poured out and it's not filtered through anything. And I so often find my life upside down, don't you? But Paul's prayer is, hey, would they take who they are and what they've been given in Jesus Christ and would that be the filter? So they can properly take those thoughts and those feelings and process them the way that God wants them to do so. So what I want to do this morning is just to give you three things. Because I said the greatest prayer that we can pray is, God, would you grow my understanding and appreciation of who I am and what I've been given in Jesus Christ. But I want to say it this way. Here's the first thing. That we need to pray, God, grow my understanding and appreciation of, number one, your plan for me. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, hear me on this. God has a plan for you. Look at the person next to you and say to them, God has a plan for you. Go ahead. God has a plan for you. And here's what you need to understand. Oftentimes when, when I say that or when we hear that, that God has a plan for you, we always think, well, well that means that, that if I sit here today and I'm not married, that God has a plan for me. So God knows who I'm going to marry and if I'm going to marry. And I would say, yes, you're right. Or God knows if I'm supposed to switch jobs this week. Or God knows the job that I need that I don't have and all of those different things. And I would say, yes, God knows that. But that's not what I mean and that's not what Paul wants them to understand as he's, he prays that they would grow in their understanding and appreciation of who they are and what they've been given in Jesus Christ. Paul wants them to understand, listen, God has a plan for you. And it's not just a temporal plan. It's an eternal plan. Look at what he says in verse 18, the second part. He says, man, I pray, church at Ephesus. Here's what God's saying to you, us this morning. I pray, Harvest Winston, Salem, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? That I need to pray, God, would you grow my understanding and appreciation that you have a plan for me. And when I grow in my understanding and appreciation that God has a plan for me, here's what it does. It gives me stability. It gives me stability. Paul says that you may know, 
Like you know it, like I know it, but yet it has continuing results. Like I'm growing in that knowledge, that I'm growing in the hope to which God has called me. Paul refers to this call earlier in verse 4, right? It says he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Like what an amazing thing that that is. Paul's prayer is that they would fully realize what their identity in Jesus Christ means. Here's what that means when we see verse 4, that he chose us before him from the foundation of the world. Some of us get all freaked out by that, like, how does my free will and God's sovereignty all work? And guess what? We're never going to be able to fully understand that. But don't miss out on the beautiful idea of what that means. What it means is that you are an afterthought by God. That he didn't say, holy cow, I had no idea that Bob was going to trust me as his savior today. That took me way off guard. I thought for sure he was gone. No, no, no. Paul says, wait a minute, I want you to grow in your understanding and appreciation of my plan for you. And that gives you stability because here's the reality. You weren't an afterthought. I chose you before the foundation of the world. It's the hope to which I've called you. And we know that that word hope in the Bible doesn't mean, well, I hope so, like, or when you're a kid, well, I hope I get a bike for Christmas, or I hope I get this doll for Christmas, or I hope I get this for my birthday, or I hope this happens. No, 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 it's this assurance that I know it's going to happen. I can bank on it. I can take it to the bank. It's going to happen. And Paul says, this is the calling, the calling that you have been given by God. I want, Paul's prayer is, I want you to remember that calling, that you weren't an afterthought by God, that God chose you eons before. You chose him. God chose you. He chose to open up your eyes to the salvation that he had for you in Jesus Christ eons before you did it. Eons. And that idea ought to help you to understand that God if that's the intricate details of how you chose me to be one of your children that God as I take that truth and I filter it through my emotions whatever I'm going through God how can I not also think that you're going to be with me in this circumstance you call me to an amazing hope And that certainty of my future gives me stability in the present. See, understanding God has a plan for me. And it far surpasses the temporal. But it's a plan that says, you're going to be with me forever in heaven and have a relationship with me in spite of your sin. That the future reality of that gives me stability in the present, but here's what it also gives me. It gives me security because look at what else he says in verse 18. He says, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Now in Ephesians 1.11, Paul says this, we haven't obtained an inheritance. Man, listen, I got five younger brothers, six boys. You know what we're probably getting as inheritance? Squadoosh. By the time you split it up six ways, And my dad's a pastor, so by the time you split it up six ways, I'm hoping we can go to McDonald's. (laughs) And I don't say that for you to feel sorry for me or sorry for my parents. That's not why I say that, but here's the reality. I'm not looking forward to an earthly inheritance. And I don't care if my dad was filthy rich. 
What my perspective needs to be shaped by an understanding, first of all, God, I want you to grow my understanding and awareness that you have a plan for me and my identity in Jesus Christ confirms that. And that needs to give me stability in life and whatever I'm going through. That needs to be the filter for my emotions and the way that I think. And God, it gives me security because you've given me an inheritance that I'm going to be with you forever one day, that I'm going to rule and reign with you one day. That I don't need to worry that if God takes my life today, that I'm not going to be with you forever because I've trusted in you, not in the good that I've done. But that's not all Paul means by this phrase. Here's what I think is so awesome. Say awesome. This is what I think is so awesome. He says, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? He switches it from what he says in verse 11, talking about our inheritance, and he says, hey, here's what I want you to understand. You're God's inheritance. Like you're feeling really insecure about who you are today, and you're a follower of Jesus Christ. What Paul wants you to understand, or better yet, what the Holy Spirit wants you to understand today, is that you're God's inheritance. He looks at you, and he looks at me, and he says, there's the riches of my glorious inheritance. What an amazing thing that that is. I mean, Ephesians 1, 6 says that we're the praise of his glorious grace. Think about this. Let me apply it this way or illustrate it this way. You ever have your kids in a play, elementary play, whatever it is? Like I remember, I remember the first church that I was at. We used to get the kids up, and they used to sing, and they used to do a play. And, man, it used to drive me crazy because it was absolute chaos on stage. And I, I'm someone who likes things organized, and it was just massive chaos. But you know what was interesting? I was, like, freaking out because my kids at that time weren't old enough to be in it. And I was thinking, this is an absolute nightmare. But then I started to look at the crowd, and everybody was just glued in with big grins on their faces. The kids were off key, were tone deaf, people all playing with their skirts, turning around, all kinds of things, absolute chaos. But what I thought was so interesting is the parents were looking and they had massive grins on their faces. You know why? Because they were saying, you know what, that's my kid. I'm looking at it and saying, what an absolute nightmare. They're looking at it and saying, that's my kid. Think about it this way, you had an awards banquet I've been to a few of those, and you're like so excited in anticipation, and, and you're looking for, and you're looking at the program, when are they going to mention my kid's name, and your kid gets up there, and, or the team that they're on, and they're involved, and then after the kid, after your kid is done, then all of a sudden, time takes forever, right? Because now, hey, they already mentioned my kid, can we go? Well, I'd be rude, so i got to stay. Am I right? Let's be honest, there's a church. Why? Because you're proud of your kid. And what I love is that here we have, in this passage of Scripture, that Paul could have prayed about so many things for the church at Ephesus, and nobody would have thought less of it. But he says, here's what I want to pray for you because I love you, is that you would grow in your understanding and awareness of God's plan for you, 
that that would give you stability in life, that God would give you security in life because you have stability in the future for all of eternity. You have security in the future for all of eternity. And God actually looks at you in spite of who you are today, but looks at you with eternity in mind and says, you know what, right now, if I looked at you right now, I would say to myself, and what you did, you know what, I probably don't have a lot to be proud about. But I see you through Jesus Christ, and I don't see you for who you are now. I see you for what you will be, and I'm proud of you. I glory in you. That's what we need to grow in. That's what I need to pray for myself. God, would you grow me in appreciating and understanding what your plan is for me for eternity. God, would that give me stability and security in life? God, would that idea keep me from running to so many of Satan's substitutes that promise stability and security? It's the first thing that I believe we need to pray about as a church. God, would you grow me in understanding and appreciating your plan for me? Here's the second thing. God, would you grow me in my understanding and appreciation for your power in me? Your power in me. Because look at what it says in verse 19 and 20. Paul says, I just don't want you to grow in understanding the hope to which he's called you and how you are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, but I want you also to grow in understanding what is the immeasurable greatness of his, God's power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Listen, listen, get this, this is so important. Paul is not praying that we can receive the power of God. He's not praying to the church, God, would they receive your power? He's not praying for that. Why? Because 2 Peter says, wait a minute, we've been given all things that pertain to life and God and listen. Ephesians 1.3, he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I don't need to pray to receive more power. But I do need to pray this. God, that you would grow my awareness and understanding of how, of what the power of God is and how I utilize it in and through my life. God, would you grow my understanding and appreciation of your power in me? And Paul, just to get across about how awesome this power, he uses like four Greek words for power just in these verses. He uses the word dunamis, which is where we get dynamite for power. He uses this word that's in your translation of working is where we get energy from. He uses great to illustrate this idea of strength. He uses this other word that's translated might to give this idea of endurance. So what he's saying is, is I'm praying that you would understand what you've been given and you would utilize God's power in your life. So how do I live as a child of God every day? How do I walk through that circumstance right now that I'm struggling to filter it through my identity in Jesus Christ? How do I walk through someone that I love very much who's has this ailment or that circumstance or walking through this situation in their marriage or I'm walking through this situation in my child. Paul says this, you know how you walk through that? You tap in in the power of God. That's it. But God, you would grow my understanding and awareness of your power 
in me. And some of us are saying, man, why do I need to grow in a greater understanding of that power? Here's why. Get this. Because you're too weak. Like, this will be fun. Just turn to the person next to you and say, you're too weak. Wasn't that fun? Wasn't that fun? If everybody had a mirror today, you know what I would say? Pick up the mirror, look at it, and say, you're too weak. Because some of us need to be reminded of that this morning. Some of us are so self-sufficient and we're so macho in our thinking. And that can be of a man or a lady. And we can be so macho in our thinking and saying, I don't need any help from anybody. That I'm pulling myself up by my bootstraps. That's always how I've lived my life. And we apply that to our walk with Christ. But what Paul wants the church to understand and what God wants us to understand this morning is this realization that I must have the power of God in my life to do anything for God, to walk with a perspective like we're talking about, to be able to remind myself of the identity of Jesus Christ. I can't do that by myself. That's why we read Jude 24 and 25 before we walk out of these doors. We don't do that because of liturgy. We do that to remind ourselves of that, that I'm too weak. Paul talks about that, that I'm made strong when I understand my weakness. But here's another reason. Not just that I'm too weak. That's why I need to grow in my understanding of the power of God. Because I'm in a battle. And some of us need to wake up to that reality. You know what I tell every couple who comes to me for premarital counseling and I don't have as much time as as I did earlier on to be able to do that, but here's what I tell them. You have a massive target on your back. And you better understand that. That Lori and I's relationship, the devil has a massive target on our backs. That my kids, that God has a massive, or the devil has a massive target on their back. Ephesians 6, 11 and 12, our ladies walk through a study on the armor of God this past summer where Paul reminds in Ephesians 6, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and spirits of darkness that we're in a battle. John 10.10, I've said it a million times here already, that Jesus says the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. And if every day that I get up, if I'm foolish enough to think that I can endure my day and walk through my day and hope to walk through the circumstances of that day on my own strength, how many times do I have to fail before I come to the realization that I need God's power in my life? And I don't need to ask more of it. I need to ask, Lord, would I experience it? Because I have it through the Holy Spirit. John D. Rockefeller, many of you, know who he is, I think. He was the world's first billionaire. He lived from 1839 to 1937. He's widely considered the wealthiest American of all time and the richest person in modern history when you take his wealth and the time that he lived. And it said, I found this so interesting, it said that for many years he lived on crackers and milk because of his stomach troubles caused by worrying about his wealth. He rarely had a good night's sleep, and guards stood constantly at his door. He was wealthy, he was powerful, but he was miserable. 
And when he began to share his wealth with others in great philanthropic endeavors, his health improved considerably and he lived to be an old man. Why do I mention that guy? John Rockefeller. Not so you can be up to date and know one more historical fact when you play Trivial Pursuit. That's not why. It's because that's true of so many of us as followers of Jesus Christ. Man, we're rich spiritually. God's given us every reason through Jesus Christ to be stable and secure people as we walk this life. Doesn't mean that we won't struggle with fear. Doesn't mean that we won't struggle with worry. Doesn't mean that we won't be sad. Doesn't mean that we won't be grieved. Doesn't mean that we won't ask God why. Doesn't mean any of those things. Remember, emotions are God-given. They're God-given. They're never to be in the driver's seat, but they need to be filtered through the truth of who we are in Jesus Christ. And we have tremendous wealth in Jesus Christ. And we have tremendous power through Jesus Christ. And I wonder if we're just like John D. Rockefeller. Man, we're sitting in a corner with a proverbial thumb in our mouth balled up. But because we're not utilizing what we've been given. And when's the last time you and I prayed, God, would you grow me in understanding of who I am in you? God, would you grow me in experiencing your power in me? And you may be asking, well, how great is the power of God? How great is it, Johnny? How great is it? I'm glad you asked. Because look at verse 20. Here's how great it is. It raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Like, that's how great it is. The power of God that lives inside of you and me through the Holy Spirit is, is the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. You know, in the Old Testament, you know how they described God's power through creation, through leading his people through the wilderness, but you know how we describe God's power in the New Testament? Christ's resurrection. That's that type of power. And the greatest power shortage today in the church is not your circuit board at home when it blows Is not your generator when the regular power goes out or you may have come to church on empty and you're like, can I make it home because I forgot to look at the gas tank meter. It's not your greatest power shortage. The greatest power shortage in the church today is us experiencing the power that has been given to us through the Holy Spirit. Why? I believe because we don't pray. Here's the last thing and we're done. The greatest prayer a follower of Jesus Christ can pray is, God, God, grow my understanding and appreciation of not just your plan for me, not just your power in me, but your person to me. God, may I grow an understanding in who Jesus is to me. I mean, you see that in verses 21 through 23. And who is Jesus to me? Who's Jesus to you if you put your faith and trust in him? Here's what he is. He's your Lord. And you know what that means? You can't lose. Say that with me. You can't lose. Not because I'm something special, but because Jesus is. He's my Lord. Look at what he says in verse 24, 21. He says he's far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. He's far above whatever you're battling today. 
It's far above. And he's given you his power to walk through that thing. Doesn't mean he may answer it the way that you desire, but he's giving you power to walk through it. He's doing something in you. He's strengthening your faith. He's strengthening the faith of those around you. You can't lose. Going all the way back to the first point, because he had a plan for me. He has a plan for me. But here's the other thing. He's my leader. I love this. He's my leader, so I can't get lost. I've already just told you about how I'm directionally challenged. And what I love is Paul says in verse 22 and 23, here's what I want you to understand, church. He put all things under Jesus' feet and gave Jesus his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and in all. He put all things in subjection under his feet, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he gave him, Jesus, his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. He's our leader. Listen to me. Jesus is the senior pastor of this church. He's our leader. He's your leader if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. He's my leader. And what I've found is when I get lost, it's not because Jesus moved, it's because I've stopped following him. He's my leader. I don't ever have to worry about getting lost. Yeah, it can be dark. I mean, isn't that what David says in Psalm 23? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Can't get lost when I understand who Jesus is to me. Can't lose when I understand who Jesus is to me. You know, you got all this stuff, right, about looking at the solar eclipse like tomorrow, right? Went on Amazon to look for some glasses. These paper things cost $50. I'm like, seriously? I'm just putting on my sunglasses or I'll take a picture of it and then look at it on my phone. Like all about you can't look at the solar eclipse because it'll kill your eyes. You'll be blind. But you know what I love what Paul says? The greatest thing that we can do is to look to the sun, S-O-N. Remind myself of this is who you are to me, Jesus. You're my Lord. I can't lose. You're my leader. I can't get lost. And isn't this what we need to pray for one another? Isn't this as we go into this ministry year what we need to pray for our church, which means I need to pray this for myself. I need to pray this for my spouse. I need to pray this for my kids. I need to pray this, as I said, for people that are going to be in my life group. I need to pray this for my brothers and sisters in Christ. I need to pray that we would grow in our understanding and awareness of, God, your plan for me, your power in me, and your person who Jesus is to me. I want us to stand up this morning before we sing this last song. And as we stand, I want to read what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 12. Gets across the same idea, that another church, a church at Corinth. And he says, but as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. You know what he's saying? No eye could ever imagine what it looks like. 
You couldn't imagine what it sounds like. No ear is heard. The heart of man couldn't imagine it. We can't even begin to imagine how awesome it is when we will be with Jesus face to face. But verse 12 says, Now we've received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. Then I need to pray, Holy Spirit, to grow my understanding and appreciation of who I am in you and what I've been given. That's the greatest prayer we can pray for our church.